Good morning, everyone. Are you aware of this temperature in this room? If we had it raining in here, we'd call it a Scottish heat wave, okay? This is like a Scottish summer. I'm in my short sleeve. I'm loving it. I may even get a tan today in here. So great to have you with us this morning. Uh, uh, A really warm welcome if you're visiting us. A very warm welcome if you're joining us uh, at home online as well. Uh, We need to stop and just acknowledge we made it. This is our fourth and our final week on this topic that we've been talking about, um, all about blessing. Before I jump into my message today, I would be remiss if I did not recommend a resource to you to help you in your further study. This book by Pastor Robert Morris is is in my top five books that you must read. It's the top five books that have really changed my life. It currently holds the record for the book that has caused me to go face down on my carpet. Like probably two times, probably three times I was reading that book and I would stop reading, I would burst into tears, I would go flat on the floor, face to the carpet saying, Lord, like, ah, like I'm so undone, I'm not even sure if I'm saved. I am sure I'm saved, okay, for those of you who are worried. But it's a powerful, powerful book. It's one I read almost every other year. If you haven't read it, please, please do yourself a favor. Um, I've borrowed from it liberally in preparing these uh, this series of messages, and I'd heartily, heartily encourage you to read it. Um, I just want to give honor where honor is due. So we've been on this four-week journey. We've discovered it is absolutely God's heart to bless his people. And we discovered that that blessing started with salvation. Easily the greatest blessing that we could have to have our sins washed away, to have right standing with God, to have the peace that comes from being reconciled with God. It's so good. And as Paul said, having done that, how will he not also, along with him, give us all things? The, the salvation is the preeminent form of blessing and everything else is gravy. But we've also been confronted with the extravagant nature of God as we've studied the scriptures. His desire to bless far outweighs our comfort level with what it means to be blessed. Can I have an amen? Like at times it's uncomfortable the level of blessing that he wants to bestow upon us. But if we're honest, at times, when we compare what the Bible says God is willing to do, and when we review the state of our lives, sometimes we're forced to ask ourselves, like, why does my life not look like this? And so we began to answer that question last week when I introduced the concept of first fruits, that in order to partner with the flow of blessing from heaven, we need to put first things first. And we looked at several passages that teach the concept of putting God first is pivotal. And we talked about how that fits into the concept of the tithe today. We discovered that for most of us in this room, online, we've been undernourished in our understanding or our concept of the tithe, having only been taught that the tithe means 10%, but that we've not been taught about where it goes, or more importantly, when we return it. And if you were here last week, you'll remember that I said, when it comes to answering this question, there's two parts. The first part that we talked about last week, cultivating a lifestyle of tithing, but also the second part that we're going to talk about today. And if you remember, I said that today's answer won't help you if you're not doing last week's answer. 
So you might be thinking, Alan, what's the second part? Well, to answer that, we need to go back to one of the passages that we looked at last week. Sorry. This is the scripture we read. Really well known in church circles. I'd argue that in the same way that we're kind of undernourished in our understanding of the tithe, we're often undernourished in regarding our understanding of this verse. So we read this verse here, verse 10, as an instruction without considering the context. And in order to read the context, we need to read a little earlier in the passage in verse 8. And when you read this dialogue, you realize the Lord's complaint is that, hey, you've been robbing me. He's actually like, how is it even possible that a mere mortal can rob God? And yet you do. And the people, they rightly ask, like, what? How are we robbing you? And look at his answer. His answer is, in tithes and offerings. That means we need to read the Lord's instructions in light of both of these things, both tithes that we talked about last week and offerings that I want to talk about this week. Now, if you're like me, you might be thinking, what? You just spent last week persuading us that we need to give 10% of our money away and now you're suggesting we give him more? Well, first, not to be a stickler, but you're not technically giving him the tithe. Right? You're just returning. So at this point, you haven't given him anything. And yes, it is God's nature that we would be generous people. Now, see, I remember growing up that I was convinced very early on, from a very early age, that tithing was good. But tithing was my security blanket to never feel compelled to give. <laughs> I'm serious as a heart attack. I remember that when I go to church or go to a conference to take up an offering, I remember being smug and going like, I don't need to give because I am a tither. <laughs> like that's how I lived. Kind of underneath that was like, well, God, you and I both agree you can have the 10%. That 90% is mine. And I had no concept that he would have an understanding that he would want something more than that. See, I thought that mindset was protecting my finances. I now understand I was limiting my finances. And I hope to show you how I got out of that thinking this morning. See, the Lord is saying one of the ways that we can rob him is through withholding tithes and offerings. And his encouragement in this passage is that when we stop robbing him, something super powerful happens. And there's a danger you're thinking, yeah, I know what happens. We read about it last week. It's like, see if I will not open the floodgates, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> it's dangerous when we dismiss any part of the Bible with a yada, yada, yada. Like over-familiarity breeds contempt. But especially so when it's one of God's promises that we're tempted to ridicule. I think perhaps... Part of the disdain with what we read here is the gap between what we see he promises and what we're living with. But what if the reason what we're living with is because we're not doing what he's asking of us? So we're really familiar with this part of the passage, but that's not all that the Lord promises. If we keep reading in verses 11 and 12, he says this, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. 
It also says that he'll ensure that your investments aren't wasted. And he'll also ensure that you live such a blessed life that you have other people commenting on the level of blessing that you live under. So the key to this life of blessing that we spent three weeks discovering is actually two things. Number one, it's a foundation of tithing upon which everything else we build on. We talked about that last week. But it's also a lifestyle of giving or what the Bible calls offerings. Do you know what another word is for a lifestyle of offerings? It's generosity. And the scriptures have a lot to say about generosity. Look at this for starters. Proverbs 11, verse 25, it says, the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. So right there, if we are generous people, we will prosper. Now, please note, we're not generous when we tithe. We're merely obedient. We're generous when we give. So that means in order to see the fullness that God is pointing to all the way through Scripture, from the beginning of Genesis, where the very first interaction with God and man is a blessing, all the way through to Revelation, where we see the fullness of what we're going to be living in, the, the key to walking in that fullness is we're invited to give and above and beyond the tithe and become generous people. Let me show you a passage that helped me understand the miracle of multiplication. Try saying that. The, The miracle of multiplication that gets kicked off in your life when you choose to give. It's found in Luke chapter 9. Very famous story. It's the feeding of the 5,000. If I start reading in verse 11 for context, it says that Jesus slipped away. He'd been ministering. He's getting away with his disciples towards the town of Bethsaida. But the crowds found out where he was going and they followed him. Because Jesus is beautiful. He says he welcomed them and taught them about the kingdom of God and he healed those who were sick. Verse 12 says this. Late in the afternoon... The 12 disciples came to him and said, send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodging for the night. There's nothing to eat here in this remote place. But Jesus said, you feed them. But we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Or are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for this whole crowd? For there were about 5,000 men there. Just a comment. Most of the stuff that Jesus is going to ask of you in your life will require massive amounts of multiplication on your side that will often feel intimidating unless you're secure in abundance mentality that comes from heaven. Just leave that for you to think about. (laughs) Most of the stuff that God's going to move towards you to do that's outside of your own ability, is going to require stuff that seems intimidating. And what the Lord is inviting us to do is to partner with him so we can see his glory at work. 
Let's continue. Jesus replied, tell the people to sit down in groups of about 50 each. So the people all sat down and Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish and he looked up toward heaven and he blessed them. And then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and the fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. It's important to understand when we read this passage today, this is not a parable. This is a real event, a real thing recorded for us. And in what we read, Jesus was not only teaching his disciples about partnering with heaven, but he was also teaching us. So this morning, I want to highlight six things from this passage that Jesus is teaching us from this event. Now, for those of you who like to think logically, the first three are all about our earthly mindset, and it gets in the way. The last three are all about his kingdom and about his way of thinking. If you're excited, say, I'm excited. Okay, number one, the first point I want to make is an earthly mindset is always going to be limited to earthly solutions. So in verse 12, the disciples knew what was going on. These people have been with you all day. It's late in the afternoon. Send the crowds away so that they can find food and lodging for the night. They identified a problem, but the best they could come up with was an earthly solution. Here's my point. When we rely on earthly mindsets, we're always going to end up with earthly approaches. Being logical, being practical, our own efforts. There's nothing wrong with that. And we're actually called to be wise. But sometimes we limit what God wants to do because we're calling ourselves wise rather than faithful. See, too often we respond to God's approach with our logic and our rational thought. But have you noticed that God is not rational? That's generous, right? It's important that we don't understand, that we don't respond rather to heavenly requests with an earthly mindset. Why, Alan? Because it's called leaning on our own understanding. And the book of Proverbs warns us against doing that. So why do I bring that up? If you feel resistance, To what the word teaches about tithing and giving, it could be that it's your earthly mindset trying to rule you. You're welcome. Number two, an earthly mindset considers little as lack. What I mean by that is an earthly mindset counts a little thing as nothing instead of a something that could be everything with God's attraction. It's fascinating to read the disciples' response. In verse 12, they're like, send the people away because there's nothing to eat here in this remote place. But in verse 13, they're like, we've only got five loaves and, and three fish. And so you're tempted to ask, well, which one is it? Nothing or something? They had something, but they considered it nothing. How often do you and I Consider what we have as nothing. We ignore what God's asking of us because perhaps we think it's too little. It's so tempting to discount what we think God can do with the little that we have. I've got some friends who brilliant thinkers in their own right. And they called me one day and they're like, Alan, can you call, can, no, they literally called me and said, hey, do you know how much 
this couple in your church, uh, their mortgages. And I was like, I'm curious why you think I would know that. Is this like a really peculiar word of knowledge? Are you testing my prophetic gift? Like, I don't know. They're like, could you find out for us? I'm like, I could. Could you give me some context for this kind of invasion of their privacy? And they were like, yeah. We were talking the other night like, oh, wouldn't it be great to have so much money that you could pay off somebody's mortgage? And then we're like, oh, well, we don't. There's nothing we can do about it. But the Holy Spirit was like, yeah, there's nothing you can do about paying off somebody's mortgage, but I bet you could pay somebody's mortgage for one month. And they were like, that is a great idea. They didn't nullify what they wanted to do by what they could do. They acted with what they could do. So I call this couple and say, hey, random question. Don't ask me why. How much is your mortgage? (laughs) They're like, it's this. Call my other friends. Hey, it's this. And they're like, great. If we give you a check, can you give it to them? I'm like, absolutely can. So I pass this check and say, hey, somebody wants to pay your mortgage anonymously. And this is what it is. Do you think the people who got their mortgage paid off that month were like, really? Only one month? I was kind of hoping that. (laughs) No, they're like, oh, my gosh, it's amazing. Think what you could do with one month's mortgage payment that you didn't have to pay. So often we discount what God wants to do because it's small. I remember a number of years ago, we're in worship, except I'm not in worship. Have you ever been in worship but not in worship? The reason I'm not in worship is I have no money and I have a car payment coming up this month. Right? I know that I, this week rather. Right? So I'm in worship, worship's all around, and I'm talking to the Lord like, Lord, I don't know where we're going to get money from. And our car payment was $400. And as I'm just thinking about that, not worshiping, Pastor Jeff gets up in the middle of the worship and he's like, hey, I think we should take up an offering. And I'm like, of course, of course, great time, right? And I remember just thinking, I've got nothing to give. And I remember the Holy Spirit saying, is that so? And I reached into my wallet, I had $4. Now this is what's insane. I began to wrestle with the Lord about those $4. But Lord, if I give those, I mean, like I'm ahead. I only need $396 for my car payment. If I give that, I'll need 400 And the Lord's like, yeah. So I'm like, you really want my $4? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, you can have the $4. So kind of with a mix of bemusement and shame, I walk up the front with, you know, $4 and just put it in the offering basket and kind of shovel it around so the next person can't see what I'd given. And I go home and I... I just chuckle. I'm like, okay, well, that literally was pushing all my poker chips to the center of the table. It's like, Lord, you can have it. I wonder what I'm going to do about my car payment. Well, the next day's Monday, and we're getting ready to go to m and and Pastor Jeff calls and says, hey, can you stop by the house? And I'm like, sure. So we stop by the house, and he says, you're not going to believe this. And I was like, what? And he's like, somebody wants to pay off your minivan. It's like a beggar part. Yeah, they want to know how much do you owe on your minivan because they want to pay off completely. And I'm like, that's an, that's an amazing coincidence. <laughs> no, I'm like, Lord, are you kidding me? Are you, are you kidding me? I'm sweating the details about making a payment while you're planning my good to remove all future payments. I give the $4. Not only do I get the $400, but I don't have to pay any other money on the rest of our minivan. The danger is an earthly mindset counts little as lack. Here's what you need to understand. Faithfulness to the Lord is not measured in dollars. It's measured by obedience. Don't withhold what the Lord wants because he's good. He's really good. Number three, an earthly mindset asks God to solve a problem he's already provided a solution for. So remember, Jesus said to them, you feed them. That was the command. 
And instead of obeying Jesus, they were arguing with his command. They didn't understand that God does not order what he cannot pay for. And what I mean by that is if the Lord is asking something of us, he's given us provision for us. Everything the Lord has asked you to do is an invitation to his supply. And it's scary because you're like, wait, you want me to do what now? And we, God meets us with what he wants. We meet him with what we don't have. Not understanding that his request upon us is an invitation for provision to us. I remember, I remember this so clearly. The last time I spoke this message at Grace Center, I wake up in the morning and I'm just like, you know that thing where you're like, you move from fast asleep to consciousness of, of being awake. As soon as I do that, I hear this voice in the spirit say, st- uh, I wrote it down, stop asking me to rebuke a devourer you keep feeding. It's pointless asking God for a breakthrough in our finances if we're not fill- willing to follow the instructions he's already provided. So I meet people who just say, I'm really struggling financially, but I don't, you know, I don't want to tithe or give. That seems irresponsible. And I'm like, don't ask for a new instruction. Obey the ones he's already given. See, the answer is not found elsewhere. It's found in obedience to his word. Number four, this is pivotal. Your money must be blessed before it can multiply. What's interesting when you read this passage is that the resources, the bread and the fish weren't multiplied in the boy's hands. It was only blessed once it was in Jesus's hands. It says this in verse 16, Jesus took the five loaves, the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he blessed them. The blessing you and I want to see on our money will only come when we put our money in his hands. It's not blessed while it's in our hands. Let me say that again. Before your money can multiply, it has to be blessed. In other words, it has to be given to the Lord first. And you know where I'm going with this because we spent last week talking about it. When we give the first of our increase, that's important, not the first of our income. The first of our increase, that includes your income, but it includes anything else. When we give the first of that to the Lord, via the tithe, he puts a blessing on our money. And then, and only then, does it have the ability to multiply. Alan, where's that in the Bible? Romans eleven sixteen says this, For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. You get your salary, you get your income, you get your increase. Right now, it's unredeemed. You take the first fruits, give it to the Lord because it belongs to him. It becomes holy. The lump becomes holy. You see that? My friend, Lyle Phillips, once asked me, he said, Alan, would you rather have 100% of your money anointed by mammon or 90% of it anointed by God? I'll let you do the math on that. If you want your money blessed, and you do, then the first fruit belongs to the Lord. Then the blessing remains on the 90%. This one is this, like this right here, everything else up to now, theory, this is where rubber hits the road. Your money isn't multiplied until it's given away. 
you and I will never see the multiplication until it's given. Verse 16, then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread. Here's what I've learned, and I've tried every which way to get out of this, right? None of your money is multiplied when you think about giving it to the Lord. (laughs) It's only ever multiplied when you do. I'm serious. Your money will never be multiplied by good, good intention, only through obedience. And that's where you're like, here you go. And listen, it's the same whether it's your last $4 or whether it's $10,000. It's painful to have money leave your hand. But because God is brilliant and he understands that pain, he teaches us through reward. AJ and I, we've kept a, a record of everything we give and everything we've received for years now. It's, like, it's just like routine for us. We record a date of what we gave, how much we gave, and then we record a date of what we received and how much. Now, it's not even the second, we're not even through the second month of the year, and I want to do something super vulnerable. I want to let all of you into our personal finances. Now, this is scary for me to do for a number of reasons, because you could absolutely misjudge my motives. I could be misunderstood, but all I'm trying to do is demonstrate that what I'm teaching you is not theory. It's practice. I practice what I preach. And the reason I can stand up here and be bold in my confidence in the Word of God is I've taken it for a test drive for years. You ready? I don't know if this is crass or not. Forgive me either way, but I want to show you God at work. In the charts I'm going to show you, I want to show you what AJ and I have given. And then I'm going to show you what the Lord has given back to us. Today begins week seven. So we're talking the last six weeks. You with me? You know, a graph without a title? Because that right there could be a dollar. I gave a hundred cents away, y'all. So what it does, it needs a label. All right, so here's what AJ and I have given away. We've given away nearly $1,500, $1,485 to be exact. Alan, how do you know you're being exact? Because I track things in a little Excel spreadsheet. Because my mother, when I was young, used to sing to me that song, Count Your Blessings, Name Them One by One. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. I guess I took her literally, and that's what I do. <laughs> Important to note, in that list is not our tithe. That is everything we've given above and beyond the tithe in all of January and the first two weeks of February. Now, you might be thinking, I sure would love an extra $1,500 in my budget so I could just give money, money away. But what might surprise you to know is AJ and I didn't have an extra $1,500 free in our budget. You might ask them, where did you get that money from? Well, here's what we've done. Remember yet last week I told you that AJ and I made this covenant after meeting with Lyle, which was like, this is astonishing. And we made a commitment that any income, any increase that comes to us, we're automatically going to tithe because it's a no-brainer. But also, because we know we're stingy at our heart. I am stingy at my heart. I have to be disciplined in practicing generosity because it doesn't come easily to me. 
So we've decided, not only do we take the first 10% off, but we also take another block of money, and it's decided for giving. That's it. It just goes straight into a completely different account, completely different ledger, and the whole purpose of that money is for us to give it away. So we're on the lookout for people to bless. We're on the lookout for things that the Holy Spirit is just like, oh, I'd love to do that. So that's what we've done. We get paid, we get our income, we tie straight to the church, and then we put aside some money to give. And I'm telling you right now, it's way less than $1,500. But you know what happens as we give away that money? Guess what happens? More comes in. Guess what we do with the more that comes in? Tithe immediately and take another portion of it to give that away. And so we give that away, and guess what happens? More comes in. And guess what we do with that? We tie straight off the top, and we give more of it away. And guess what happens? You get the point. Rinse and repeat. When you give what you have, you'll receive more to steward. God is looking for people who will demonstrate kingdom faithfulness with their money. So that's how we ended up giving $1,500 away. By the way, when we started this several years ago, we had nothing to give, like nothing to give. And then the Holy Spirit was like, is that so? Because what happened was I got an extra Christmas present I hadn't opened yet. And it was a duplicate. I'd received two of the same things. And the Lord was like, you could give that away. I was like, yeah, but I like having two. You're never even going to use it. I know, but it feels good. Isn't that a double portion? He's like, you could give it away. So we gave it away. That's the thing that kick-started the chain reaction of supply coming to us that we continue to this day to give away from. Now, how many of you are familiar with the phrase, you can't outgive God? Would you like to see that in a bar graph? I'm going to show you what we received. And to be sure, we're going to need a completely different scale. Again, we just started today's week seven of 2022. That means since the start of the year, we've received $15,000 worth of blessing that we didn't have seven weeks ago. Now again, lest you think I'm being cute, lest you think I'm trying to pad those numbers, none of that includes our salary. That's above and beyond our salary. So the yellow column doesn't include our tithe because we don't count that as giving. Now, you're saying, Alan, like you haven't included your salary. Do you not consider that a blessing? It certainly is. But I'm trying to show you what God showers on us above and beyond our income. I am confident that we would never have seen the green until we'd given away the yellow. None of your money is ever multiplied by good intention, only through obedience. Number six. The minimum God will do is more than enough. Look at verse 17. Then they all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. Now, please note, that wasn't God being sloppy. That wasn't Jesus being bad at math. He's demonstrating his approach to need. It's above and beyond. The Apostle Paul said the same thing. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8 said this, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, 
you will abound in every good work. Paul had an expectation that whatever need you would have, God would not only meet that, but go above and beyond so that you can abound in every good work. Abound means having more than you need so that you can bless others. Now, I know what some of you shrewd folks in the audience are looking at. Even though I've underlined some of this text, your eyes have glanced over that, and it's almost like it's not there because you're focusing on something completely different. And it's this little word here. Alan, I know he's able, but is he willing? Maybe if we personalize that, like, I know he's able, and I I hear that he's going to do it for you, but he's doing it for you because you're a pastor. No, he's doing it for me because I'm obedient. And so the question, all of us are thinking, I know he's able, but is he willing? Paul already answered that question for us in the most radical way possible. We looked at this two weeks ago. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Did you know that God himself demonstrates his willingness to partner with the same system he expects us to do. He gave his first fruits. He sowed his son for many sons and daughters. And having done that, Paul asks, almost incredulously, how will he not also give us all things? Now here's the rub. All of us in this room, I'm hoping, believe the Bible is true, but we actually have to live like it is to see that it is. Remember this verse that we looked at earlier? The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Let me answer one of the questions that you asked last week. Hey, Alan, if the tithe goes to the church, the whole tithe, like you taught us, then how do missionaries get supported? How do people God puts on my heart get blessed? They get blessed and they get supported through the generosity of our giving. Our offering, so to speak. Remember what we said earlier, we're not being generous when we tithe. We're merely being obedient. We're generous when we give. Now let you into a little secret. We are most like our heavenly father when we're giving. There is a very big difference between tithing and giving. And many Christians never experience the fullness of what God has for us because they do one or the other, but rarely both as a lifestyle. Now here's what I've learned. One protects our income, the other determines the increase we'll see in our life. Let me say that again. Tithing protects your money, but your giving determines your increase. So last week, when I put up the question, hey, why does my life not look like that? And I answered it with tithing. And I said, some of you are like, but I do tithe and I'm not seeing what you're talking about. The question could be answered by, are you giving too? Because it's your giving that determines your increase. Let me show you that. Luke 6, verse 38. 
How many of you have heard this verse here? Give and it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your life, with the measure you use will be measured to you. How many of you have heard that used in an offering talk? Miss Charlene, nobody else. You've never been in a church where people have used this verse to solicit money from your pocketbook. The irony is this verse has nothing to do with money. It's like contextually completely wrong. This verse is all about judgments and showing mercy. It's about a lifestyle. Okay, and if it's got nothing to do with money, why are you bringing that up? Because of this one little word here. Because Jesus is teaching a principle that we already know and are familiar with in our church culture. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. We teach that all the time. So we're really good about not sowing judgment, not speaking dishonorably, because we know it will come back on us. Forgetting the same principle works with good things. Whatever it is that you give, a good measure of it will be pressed down and flown over and given back to you. Jesus in this passage is revealing a principle that whatever you and I sow, we reap. Which means, if you want to reap abundance, you have to sow abundantly. And by the way, that abundance is rarely about dollars, but almost always about value. If you and I will practice giving what's valuable to him, you will begin to see that he starts giving what's valuable to you. Do you know what? Two things are very, very valuable to the Lord. The people of Israel and the poor. So AJ and I minister to those two people groups. Right? So if you were to look at our bank and see where our money goes out of our giving, it's often to Israel and it's often to the poor. Because it's super valuable. Those two people are so close to the heart of God. So we give what speaks value to his heart. Do you know what speaks value to my heart? Nerdy, expensive Apple products. I'm serious. Like You all know me. Like I'm a super nerd. Do you know the most common form of blessing I receive? Is super nerdy Apple gifts. Why? Because he knows what's valuable to my heart. And he also knows it's outside of my price range. It's like, Lord, why did you, why did you create me with champagne tastes and a beer budget? I think to show that he can meet the gap. That's what he's like. See, when we do that, when we give, we're practicing Matthew 6, 33. When we give, we're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then I find that all these other things are given to me as well. Let's review what we learned this morning. These first three, like I said, are all about the way we think, what we believe, and because all beliefs produce behaviors, they influence how we live. These last three are all about how God's kingdom is orchestrated to ensure that you and I live in the blessing that God's already made provision for. And the only way to escape out of this way of living is to put into practice the principles we've discovered in God's word. I want to leave you with the wisdom that James wrote to us in James chapter 1, verse 22. He said this, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do 
what it says. Revelation is not for tickling our spiritual intellect. Revelation is for putting into practice. I just added that, by the way. That's not in James's. In the original Greek, it does not say that. Verse 23, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. See, I believe the Lord is inviting all of us into a new relationship with our money and his blessing in 2022. But we will never experience this new relationship unless we're prepared to change the way we live. Remember Graham Cook's quote from the very first week, It's not enough that we believe, but that we live fully persuaded.